0: Well, here we are, and somehow it's December 5th with less than a month to go until 2022, and only 20 days until Christmas. Can you believe it? Uh, and if that didn't make you feel like time was flying by, don't forget we're already at our second Sunday of Advent. It's uh, the halfway mark in our countdown to the Feast of the Nativity. Uh, and I don't know about you, but even saying that makes me feel... Just a bit anxious, honestly. Uneasy might be a better description. Not for any particular reason I can put my finger on. Um, not really being overly concerned about being ready for Christmas because Vicky takes care of all of that. Uh, and not over the rapid passage of time, although maybe partly. When I was working on the sermon, I think it's more like, you know, the feeling of when you drive someplace really familiar uh, someplace you've been to a hundred times and, and you realize that you've gotten yourself there on autopilot, right? I'm sure you've done this, right? Who, who's the, everybody's done that, right? Yeah, you've done that before, right? You pull into some place, and you realize you, you really don't have any active awareness of large parts of the drive because you've been busy thinking about something else. And all of a sudden you wake up to the fact that you've arrived where you're going. Well, that's that's kind of our lectionary reading today, because as we saw last week, the people of God had been walking around in fog and living their daily lives in the shadow of depression and in the midst of spiritual darkness, and they'd been doing it for so long and living so blindly, they didn't even realize how gloomy it had become, and then all of a sudden, uh, for them almost completely out of the blue. Uh, A funny-looking guy wearing crazy-looking clothes and crunching on honey-covered locusts uh, jumps onto the scene to jolt him awake with all the grace and subtlety of a grizzly bear in ballet shoes. (laughs) A guy by the name of John the Baptist. And his appearance today in the lectionary is no accident, but rather an intentional effort to jar us awake so that we can be really ready when Christmas comes. So just in, in case... His insertion in the Christmas readings today takes you by surprise. That's really the whole point. The whole point of John's life, actually, because everywhere he went turned out to be the right time for a rude awakening. And so here's how his story started. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, first chapter. And I'll be reading you verses uh, 5 to 17. So I hope you're following along in your own Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 1 to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Brothers and sisters, that's the word of the Lord for us today. And let's pray. God, our Father, we don't live today by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from you. And so uh, take now what we've read and heard and nourish it with us today uh, in the way of eternal life and show us your salvation, we ask. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, the bread of heaven. Amen. So I, I said, especially today, if you have your Bible, just for a background, if you guys, if you still have your Bible open, flip to kind of the middle, to the last page of the Old Testament. If you guys have it in front of you. And this is just for a little bit of background on today's message. So flip to the very last page of Malachi. Okay? And if you take that little sheet, this little sheet right here, this page, the, the, the page that kind of acts like an artificial separator between the Testaments, and you flip it over, just flip it over from Malachi to Matthew, what you've done in terms of the literature is to skip over about 400 years of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? 400 years of silence. It's been called because it was 400 years without a prophet having been sent to God's people. Uh, 400 years without any powerful miracles to topple their enemies or or more profound revelations to add to the the books of the Torah. But it didn't mean God wasn't doing anything. God is always working, even in our waiting. And I think sometimes especially in our waiting uh, because he knew exactly what he was doing. And to demonstrate it, uh, he picks up in the Gospels exactly where he left off in Malachi. Because the last thing he said to the people in Malachi's day was, if you still have it open, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of children, I'm sorry, fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That sound familiar? sounds exactly like what Gabriel the angel just said to Zechariah, right? About John the Baptist. And it was the message that the world had been waiting for. Even though at the the moment relatively few perceived its meaning or or understood its advent. And that's really what it was. It was an advent. In the, the very truest sense of the word's origin from Latin, which is uh, beginning and arrival. But for poor old Zachariah, who was in a state of parental shock, and for the people of his day who didn't fully appreciate the times they were living in, they just didn't quite get it, did they? Because you know, if, if you don't understand why someone is coming, uh, who really cares when they're gonna arrive, right? If you don't know to expect a package in the mail, you don't keep going and watching out the window for the postman to come. And if if you don't know that you have a deep-seated need, you won't be searching for the means to fill it so that that even if the answer was right in front of you, you might not understand it. And find yourself being unprepared for it and backed into a corner like exactly what happened next to John the Baptist's dad. Luke goes on to tell us in verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, uh, How can I know for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And so you've got to kind of picture this, right? The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the midst of his duties as a priest in the temple. He says to him, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. Because see, up until now, God had chosen not to answer that prayer. And Zechariah had been forced to accept the possibility that uh, maybe an end was coming to his future hopes and his, his family legacy. But now, uh, miraculously, that fear had been interrupted by hope. There was just one small hitch. Good old Zechariah felt like he wanted to sign. And I think it's funny because it's as if the angel's appearance itself wasn't proof enough. Right? And for that, he was struck mute because God clearly expected more of him than doubt at the moment of hope's fulfillment. And not just his own personal hopes to be a daddy, but the granddaddy of all the hopes of all the human race in their anticipation of a savior. And church, you know what? God's hopes for us are the same for you and me today as we journey through this season of Advent. Because in the story of another birth, Of Christ's birth. We have the greatest hope of all. And God expects us to accept it and to embrace it and not to be silent about it, but to share that good news of that Savior's birth just the same way that John the Baptist would grow up to do. To share it with anyone that would listen and to share it whether they liked it or not. And that's why Advent is more than simply planning for Christmas, Advent is the season in which we are reminded of our desperate need and of our thirst and of our yearning for the only thing that can bring any lasting fulfillment to the deafening silence of our human lives. Uh, And that's the love of the Messiah. And not just any old Messiah. Uh, Lots of folks have claimed to be a Messiah, but there's only one. And the Bible has been really very careful to point out uh, even right down to the exact moment that his front man, John the Baptist, would appear on the scene to announce his arrival. If you flip a little uh, further on in Luke chapter 3, he puts John's birth, he says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. That's a pretty precise time period, right? But that's a good thing. Because our faith is not simply rooted in a generic person who was born at some random point. But it's rooted in who that person is. And in what he came to do. And even in who he sent to announce his arrival. And to proclaim the hope of the salvation that we find in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in nobody else. Which is the exact purpose that John the Baptist was born to preach about. And to prepare the way for it. Luke actually goes on to tell us that about him down in verse 4. He says, "...as it was written of John in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways." And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so, you know, the the point of looking at all of these kind of interconnected verses and of exploring the life of John the Baptist this Advent season is, is to keep us just off balance enough so that we pay more careful attention to the world around us and to the Spirit within us. And basically, so we stop operating on autopilot long enough to ask ourselves, are you prepared for Christmas? And I don't mean to have all your presents bought. Mm -hmm. I mean, have you prepared yourself? And I heard somebody say once, when it comes to Christmas, there are only really two kinds of people. Those who can't wait for it to come and those who can't wait for it to go. Right? And I think the older you get, the more likely you are to join that second group. Uh, But that's kind of sad, really, don't you think? Because, you know, the older we get, the more we should grow in our appreciation and in our awareness of the great comfort and peace that the Incarnation brings. And so I want to challenge you today, each of you, to clear a path in your holiday preparations this year for Jesus. And to do it so you'll catch a glimpse of the reason we do all that preparing for anyway. Uh, Otherwise, when Christmas does come, it'll be little more than a pretty card with nothing of value on the inside. And maybe feel to you like the whole celebration has gotten so worldly most of the time anymore that it's only for toddlers and retailers. But you know what? What other holiday has the whole world, secular and Christian, paused for 24 hours to mark a day unlike any other in the history of humanity? A day to recognize the miracle of the eternal God taking on human flesh and being born in a manger. And so I don't know about you guys this year, but... I'm kind of ready to stop sleepwalking through the holidays and jump back on the Christmas bandwagon. And, and remember what it's all about and what good news it prepares us for. And that also goes for all those killjoys and naysayers out there, you know, the ones that <laughs> pop up this time of year uh, doubting our message and mocking our Merry Christmas and, and griping about our manger scenes, right, and, and, and taking malicious delight in reminding Christians that are holy celebrations, ah, you know, they're all just based on pagan Roman holidays anyway. Well, you know what? In my opinion, every one of those guys deserves a great big gag order, Gabriel style. Right? Because, yes, it, it, hey, it's true. The celebration of Christmas overlaps a time when the ancient Romans celebrated their pagan Saturnalia holidays. But you know what, church? A tiny little minority of first century Christians, probably less than 1% of the population, whipped that sinful Roman holiday and its practices into submission and eventually re-engineered the whole Roman society from the inside out because we have a true and a better story in the birth of Jesus Christ. And the Christians of that era celebrated that fact in the way that they lived and they did it so loudly and so well that we Christians drowned out all those pagan influences. Just like Martin Luther, who was... Was basically a rough and tumble kind of Reformation era John the Baptist character. Uh, someone who was never a guide about a popular opinion or political correctness uh, or religious ritualism. And what did he do? He invented the Christmas tree to transform the European custom of nature and climate worship into a devotional opportunity to teach his children about the child in Bethlehem. And, and so, just, just parenthetically, that makes us two for two in the holiday column, right? Because as Congregationalists, we invented Thanksgiving. And as people of the Reformation, we can take credit for the Christmas tree. So you're welcome, world. (laughs) Right? Uh, But we can't stop there. Because the world and its evil influences have clawed their way back into our nation's politics. And in our public education. And in our personal family relationships. And I'm very sorry and ashamed to say, into many pulpits. And you know, people today are getting every bit as... Uh, dim-headed and deceived as folks were walking around in darkness that we've been reading about for these last two weeks. And so it's time to shine the light of the gospel into the foggy thinking out there and to shake things up again unless we want to invite maybe another 400 years of silence on our generation. And so starting now, let's get out there and be as bold as John the Baptist was in sharing our faith this holiday season. Let's cry out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then let's set about to fill the valleys of holiday depression that folks are in with the tangible love of Jesus. And set about tearing down all those mountains of godless misinformation and and the hills of self-imposed hopelessness that all those fear mongers in the media dole out night after night onto the backs of our nation. And we can do it, church, with the plow of the gospel and with the gentle yoke of the master. And let's call out all the crooked logic that's coming out of Pennsylvania Avenue and their army of alphabet people with the prophetic message of the apostles and the prophets. And together this year, regardless of the resistance, let's let the gospel of Christmas run roughshod over every segment of our society and every element of our personal lives until all those places become level paths to see the salvation of our God in the face of Jesus. That's that's what John the Baptist was calling folks to do in his day. Uh, And you know, his message hasn't changed. And so this year we need to take every opportunity to point out to everyone around us the reason for the season. And and you know, really the world is doing most of the work for us, right? Because everybody knows when Christmas is. Everybody. They might just not know what it means beyond the gift giving. But we can change that. Because you see, no matter how carefully we select a gift for someone... No matter how much money or time we spend on our giving, it's always going to be imperfect. Because it's only a shadow. It's only a symbol of that perfect gift we affirm every week in the Apostles' Creed. uh, That gift that was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Because the real blessing of Christmas is that Christ gave himself for us. Individually. Specifically. Because, brothers and sisters, Christ didn't come to make people save a bull. He came to save you. He didn't shed his blood for an anonymous blob of humanity or to create some bank of merit the church could tap into. No, he came and paid the price—the particular price for my sins. And if you're in Christ, he paid for yours too. And brothers and sisters, there was no markdown Christmas bargain. It cost him everything. That's the gift of God and the giving of Christ. And so this Advent, as we prepare for that gift. That gift of experiencing once again how God claims us as his own through the manifestation of his son. Remember, even though each of us have our own shares of hardship and pain and adversity, just just like Zechariah and Elizabeth and the people of their day did, we can know that our comfort and our restoration starts with him. Just as the words of the Holy Spirit in the mouth of John the Apostle call us to clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord to make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God, to fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills and straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places for Jesus Christ to enter the wasteland of our lives and for us to experience the freedom and the forgiveness that only comes in the awareness of that awesome truth that into this fragile and fallen world that always seems to be hanging by a thread came our God so that we will know that we're not forgotten. Even when we think we've been living in those silent years we started out talking about, our God is still at work. And his son is coming back. And so this year, uh, let's be dedicated messengers of his good news. You don't even have to wear, you know, John the Baptist camel skins and leather unless you want to. But for sure, let's adopt his message that same message and shout it from the mountaintops just like he did calling folks to wake up get ready get your head out of the clouds pay attention the king is coming in fact he's already here are you ready to meet him and church that journey can start at this table will you pray with me God, our Father, is truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise. Especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you, uh, by the hope of his first advent and an expectation of his coming again, that you unite us in your truth and love, so we confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time and in this place, that eyes may be opened that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.